so good to be with you and be able to open God's Word together. Something we should never take for granted. The last three weeks, we've been studying the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4. And trusting God with our comfort in life. Trusting God with our control of life. And then trusting God with our approval of others. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 27. You can make your way over there. And we're going to be learning to trust God with our fears. Because our fears are no match for God's provisions. Our fears are no match for God's provisions. So let me ask you... A couple of questions. What do you fear? What makes you afraid? We all have different fears or things that cause us to worry from time to time. And it's usually about losing something or not gaining something. We're either holding on to something too tightly. Or we're reaching for something that we don't have instead of trusting God. My daughter, Allison, and she gave me permission to share this story, is fearful of spiders. Two times in the last year, she has had a spider in her car. And she got out of her car in the middle of the road. One of those was she was in Virginia before she came back. And she called me. She stopped her car. I got out of the car. It was a white spider in the car. And she said, Daddy, there's a spider in my car. And I said, okay, well, kill it. And she said, I can't. And then she said, I can't find it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I prayed with her on the phone. And then she had to have the courage to get back in her car and drive the rest of the way. And she never did find the spider. The second time, she was in Alpharetta near Avalon. And this was a gray, hairy leg spider on her steering wheel. So she gets out of her car, pulls over into the turning lane, and gets out of her car and just standing there outside her car. And so a nice man on the other side of the road stops and says, ma'am, are you okay? And she said, there's a spider in my car. And he said, okay. So he got a tissue out of his own car. Went over, oh, oh, yep, hairy leg spider, yep. He got the spider and he rescued her from her spider. So she was very thankful for this kind young man, uh, to brave man to rescue her. But like Allison, isn't it true that we all need to be rescued from our fears? That spider had no chance. And just like that spider, our fears are no match for God's provisions. And can be squashed by him. We need a deliverer who can overcome whatever we're facing. Someone who knows every situation. Someone who is greater than our fears. Now you may have had a similar experience being spooked by something. In a, you know, going into a basement or attic or a creature of some sort. Other times, fear may be less spooky and more like terror. For instance, if you were on a plane on September 11th, what that must have been like. Or being in the middle of an actual war. 
Another example of fear would be last week we had an amber alert that sounded. Um, and you may remember that if you were here. A lot of the phones were going off. It's hard to imagine being on the side of the person making the phone call that needs to trigger that alert. Um, experiencing that kind of desperation. I looked it up and it was for a one-year-old little girl from Warner Robins. And she was located that afternoon, the same day. So we thank the Lord for his kindness and that provision. Fear may also be experienced when losing a loved one or a pet, losing a job, concerns over health, loss of wealth, fear of failure, fear of looking bad, fear of persecution for taking a stand on what the Bible says on topics like homosexuality, gender, and the roles in the family. Parents, do you fear your children being lured away by the world and their own desires? Whatever fears we may have, Scripture tells us to fear not and to not be afraid. So that's what we're going to study today in Psalm 27. The Hebrew word for fear in Psalm 27.1 is Yahweh. And it appears 331 times in the Old Testament. And then the Hebrew word for afraid, a little bit later, is pakad. And it appears 25 times in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, the Greek word for fear is phobos. And it's where we get our word phobia. And that word is used 47 times in the New Testament. Phobos means panic. Flight, fear, the causing of terror. Thus, there are at least 400 references to the fear in the Bible. And do not fear and do not be afraid are recurring themes. And we need those reminders, don't we? So to set up our passage today, I want to give some observations about Psalm 27. It's been classified as a psalm of lament or an individual lament. Some classify it two ways. One, as a song of trust. Verses 1 through 6, and then an individual lament, 7 through 14. It's a psalm of David. Usually the title says uh, that. Um, The Septuagint, which is the earliest Greek translations, interpreters also added, before he was anointed. So a psalm of David before he was anointed. But that's not the most helpful because he was anointed three times. And so we're not quite sure when that was. And that's probably why it's not included in most translations today. Uh, But it most likely means when he was exiled from home and being hunted by King Saul and his men. So that's the scene where we're entering into David's poetry. He's being hunted. And we're studying wisdom literature, specifically Hebrew poetry. And let me give you a little bit of insight on Hebrew poetry, just so you understand the structure of it. Um, It uses parallelism quite often. There's three main types of parallelism, synonymous, antithetic, and synthetic. And David uses all three of these, synonymous, antithetic, and synthetic. So synonymous parallelism is its synonym. So where the thought expressed in the first half of the verse, first part of the verse, is repeated in the second part, but in different and equivalent terms. So Psalm 27, 1 and 3 are examples of that. Psalm 19 is another example of that. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims its handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. So it's a synonym. 
Now, antithetic parallelism is its antonym, where the thought in the first part of the verse is contrasted in the opposite in the second part. An example of that would be Psalm 27, 2 and 10. And then synthetic parallelism is where the idea is expressed in, a line, in the first verse in the line is then developed and completed in the following lines. And that would be, an example would be Psalm 27, 6 and 9. So we're going to get to those in a little bit. Psalm 27 is traditionally divided into two sections, 1 through 6, verses 1 through 6 and 7 through 14. And it goes from confidence in God in the first half to desperately needing God in the second half. So strong faith in the first half and worry about God's presence in the second half. Now, some will also break it up uh, in poetry terms as a strophe, verses 1 through 6. A strophe is one direction, and an anti-strophe is, turns into another direction. And then verses 13 and 14 would be resolving that tension between the two halves in the final stanza. So I've broken it down a little bit differently in your teaching guide. You should see sections, um, three sections, verses 1 through 4, 5 through 10, and 11 through 14. So let's read the passage. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And here's where David tones, turns to lament. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Then we come to David's conclusion. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So let's go back to verse 1 and our first point on our teaching guide. The Lord is our light, salvation, and strength. We're going to see a lot of threes uh, develop in this um, text. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
Now we know that capital L-O-R-D means what? Yahweh. It's Yahweh. And here David gives us an unbreakable cord of three strands to help us understand the power of Yahweh over fear. Light, salvation, and strength. Look at verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Here David gives us another three to contrast God's power over darkness, where light, salvation, and strength overwhelms evildoers, adversaries, and foes. Our fears are no match for God's provision. So what happens to them at the end of verse 2? They will stumble and fall. In verse 3, David's poetry continues to build in his confidence in God, and it brings us confidence as well. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Then in verse 4, David takes this beautiful reassurance and reminds us that God is attentive to our prayers. Verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Like David, we can boldly approach him in prayer by asking, seeking, and dwelling with him. So we have another three. Ask, seek, dwell. Now, dwell in Hebrew is yashab, and it means to sit. I mentioned this last week, if you were here. um, To sit, to remain, to abide. Have you ever had an opportunity to actively sit with somebody? Perhaps it was a grandparent on the front porch in a rocking chair, and it seems like time slows down. Perhaps you're in a hospital in a ministry of presence, And it's an active encouragement just to sit with someone and talk to them. When our fears and emotions are high, wisdom is often low, and nothing helps us more than to dwell with, meditate on, and abide in the Lord. To actively sit before Him and His Word and talk to Him in prayer. You can think of it as an active pursuit of the relationship with God. We're fighting for the right perspective. So that we can stop and gaze, as, as, the, as David says, gaze on his beauty, behold our God, and delight in his beauty and grace. This is where we find rest. This is where we find his presence in his temple, his house, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and ultimately one day we'll be able to see him face to face. Amen. Another way to say it is when our focus is on him, his light, his salvation, his strength, all else fades and our fears, including our fears and doubts. So can you see how this can be considered a song of trust, these first several verses? Now, there's another angle we can take, and that is where is Jesus in this psalm? Where is the gospel? When it comes to light... Salvation and strength, does it not remind us of the incarnation of Christ and the work that he performed? Also, later on in verse 12, 
We also know that there was a false witness that rose up against Jesus. So like David, Jesus knows what it's like to be falsely accused. Let's think about light. What does light remind you of? It reminds me of creation and the first light in Genesis. And then my mind goes directly to the first John or the gospel of John. Turn over there, John 1. Gospel of John. Should be familiar to, to most of you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip it down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, we must know him. And the more we know him, the more we can trust him. Another passage, 1 John 1, 5 through 9. So this is 1 John 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the light. Now what about salvation? Jesus' very name means what? Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Peter in Acts 4.12 states, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10.9-13 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So not only do we see that Jesus is our light and salvation, we also can read about his Strength. Who else has the power to heal, to raise the dead, and the power to calm storms? One of my favorite passages describing the power of Jesus is in John eighteen six. This is when Jesus said three words. He said, I am he. And Judas and the mob approached him in the garden of Gethsemane. And they went backward and fell down. He has strength. 
So as I mentioned, we must know him. And the more we know him, the more we're able to trust him. And for us to know him in his transforming power, he must shine his light into our hearts. And we must receive him, repent of our sins, and put our hope and faith and trust in him. And then walk in his light. What about you? Have you placed your hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, you have all that you need to overcome fear. Listen to Spurgeon's comments on Psalm 27.1. After conversion, our God is our joy, comfort, guide, teacher, and in every sense, our light. He is light within, light around, light reflected from us, and light to be revealed to us. Note, it is said, not said merely that the Lord gives light, But he is light, nor that he gives salvation, but that he is salvation. He then, who by faith has laid hold upon God, has all covenant blessings in his possession. This being made sure as a fact, the argument drawn from it put forth in the form of a question, whom shall I fear? A question with its own answer. The power of darkness are not to be feared, for the Lord is our light And he destroys them. And the damnation of hell is not to be dreaded by us. For the Lord is our salvation. So once we know him as Lord and Savior, how does this work itself out in how we live? We should not be afraid of our circumstances. We should not fear evildoers, adversaries, foes, persecution, chaos, you name it. But this is not easy for us. It's a struggle, isn't it? We have to learn to trust him as we wrestle with it by seeking him through prayer, by knowing his word, and by abiding in him. Speaking of knowing his word, one of my favorite verses, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In the heat of the battle, when our fears are fresh, All this is easily forgotten, isn't it? And David soon is going to remind us as he pours out lament in the coming verses. Let's keep going. Um, And our next point in our teaching guide is the Lord is our shelter, helper, and redeemer. Let's look at verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the days of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. What do you see in this verse? Do you see another three? Hide me in a shelter. Conceal me in his tent. And lift me upon a rock. Going into verse 6. This is where David's head is lifted over his enemies to a safe place on the battlefield. He's on higher ground. And David's fears were no match. For God's provisions. What does David do and what should we do? Look at verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So what should we do? We should praise the Lord out of an abundance of joy. But then comes the turn in verse 7 and the tone changes And isn't this real life? 
David was just upon a mountaintop of praise, praising God, making songs and melody. And now he's going to be moving into lament and desperation because something has happened. And this is what he wants us to know. And this is why we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. Know God's word and his promises and recall his past faithfulness to us. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Notice the three here. Hear me. Be gracious to me. And answer me. It's okay for us to pour out our hearts before God and lament. And to remind him and ourselves of his promises. Then in verse 8, what does David do? He reminds himself what the Lord has said. Seek my face. And he responds to the Spirit's reminder, your face is what I'm seeking. There's a big difference between seeking God's face and seeking God's hand. Right? Seeking him for who he is versus what he can give. That's another sermon, but that's an important point. There's going to be times in our lives where things do not make sense. Our fears grow. It seems like God isn't anywhere in the picture. And like David, we may ask, where are you? Where is God? And this is where we have an opportunity to express what we've learned. Right? Where we have an opportunity to express what we've learned in the, in the light. Or we express what we've learned in the dark. Um, what we've learned in the light. And when our emotions are low and our fears are high, we have to seek his face and trust him and his timing. It reminds me of Josephat's prayer in Second Chronicles 20. A great army of Moabites, Ammonites, and some other ites, they're all coming after the tribe of Judah. And Jehoshaphat prays, and here's what he says. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are where? Our eyes are on you. There have been many times in Amy and Maya's life where that was our only cry. Lord, we do not know what to do. Lord, we do not know what to do. Lord, we do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. This is where we have to put off the fear and focus on the face of God by putting on the truth of Scripture. So it's a putting off of wrong thinking and putting on what is true. And the Bible is full, full of put offs and put ons. And we need to remind ourselves of these. It's one of the major points in our discussion from the men's group we've had this summer on fighting for purity. And we, in several of those sessions, this came up. And so the guys who attended that, should be, this should sound familiar. But it's not just put off only, but it's put off and replaced with something. So Ephesians 4, 22 and 23, Paul says to put off the old self and put on the new. The writers in Hebrews 12 says to put off every weight of sin and look to Jesus so we can run with endurance. So put off sin, put on looking to Jesus. 
And then you're probably familiar with Ephesians 6, where we put on the whole armor of God, the full armor. But another great put off and put on passage is Colossians 3. And I recommend you read that and meditate on that when you have an opportunity. Colossians 3. Another passage is Romans 13, 12 and 14. Let us cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So put off fleshly desires. Put on Christ. Now the Greek word to put off, it's one of the Greekiest words um, you'll hear. It's apotithemi, which means to lay aside, to renounce, to put away, to cast off. And the Greek word to put on is in duo, in duo, and it means to clothe, to be clothed with, to invest with clothing. So put off and put on. So let's go back to our question, what do you fear? What comes to mind? What area in your life are you holding on to something too tightly? Or maybe you're reaching for something that you don't have instead of trusting God with it. Whatever fear you've just thought about or you've been thinking about, you may have put your finger on an idol or a path to an idol, something that you may tend to struggle with. And that's something that we need to confess and deal with and learn to trust God with. Brad Bigney, he's a pastor in Kentucky, He has a great uh, definition, I think, that's very helpful for idol. He says, an idol is anything or anyone who captures our hearts, our minds, and our affections more than God. An idol is anything or anyone that captures our heart, our minds, and affections more than God. So what do we do when we discover an idol in our life? We have to put it off, cast it away, forsake it, put down the idol, and then put on trusting God. And this may be difficult either to identify or um, you may have a struggle with it. So if you need help with counseling or accountability, seek someone to come alongside you and walk you through it. And when it comes to fear or not having control, we have to realize We cannot control our circumstances, can we? But we can control how we think about our circumstances. And that's through the helpful lens of the gospel and the power of God's word. So put off fear, put on trusting the Lord. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord is an everlasting rock. It's a great verse to remind ourselves to keep our mind on the Lord. Scripture is our friend in the midst of fear. Scripture is our friend in the midst of fear. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything. Put it off. But in everything, put on prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, put this on. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, is there 
if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we have to put off the bad thoughts and put on thoughts that are true and lovely and pure and that help us in difficult times. Let's go back to our passage in verse 9. So David's in desperation mode. He says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Here David gives us four things in negative terms. Hide not, turn not in anger, cast me not off, forsake me not. Yet he still recognizes two things. What does he recognize? What are those? God is our helper and he is our salvation. Verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And here he says something that seems kind of strange, as if to claim that his parents have forsaken him. It's not actually true, but it is a well-known proverb of his day. Some translations will say, even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me in. He will redeem. He is our redeemer. He will adopt us, take us in. Even if your family rejects you, even if your parents are not the best parents, God will never forsake. This also reminds me of David taking in Mephibosheth in a beautiful picture of God's grace. Also reminds me of Boaz redeeming Ruth. And then some similar, Jesus used some similar language uh, when he said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? That's Matthew 12, 48 and 50. Matthew 12, 48 and 50. He knew who his mother and his brothers were, but there was a greater father and a greater purpose. And our family relationships do not provide our way to heaven. Human relationships are important and families are valuable, but they are not more important than a right relationship with God. Let's go on to our third point. The Lord is our teacher, leader, and encourager. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. This is where David continues his request and asks the Lord to teach me. And lead me. Like David, we should trust God to teach us and lead us when facing our biggest fears and worst enemies. Verse 12 Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. We have another three adversaries, false witnesses, and violence. And David prays that the Lord will not give him over to their will. And like David, again, if we're facing persecution, if we're facing difficulties or violence is threatened against us, we can cry out to him like David. And then we come to a resolution of sorts from verse 13. Here David proclaims that he believes that the Lord will deliver him. And he reminds himself of the goodness of the Lord and the hope of the future. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living And thus we too can be confident in the Lord because of what we know. We shall look upon the goodness of the Lord again. Isn't that encouraging? 
We are expectant in what God's going to do. And we need not fear the future. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 14, David closes it out, recognizing that there are many times we must wait for the Lord and give him time to answer. Verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And that waiting, as I mentioned, is an active abiding. We have to abide in him and be strong in our waiting. Because our courage and strength comes from him. The Lord is our encourager. And we need him. Like the song says, Lord, we need you every hour we need you. Listen to Spurgeon's thoughts on waiting. It is our duty and our privilege to wait upon the Lord in service, in worship, in expectancy, in trust all of our days of our life. Our faith will be a tried faith. And it will be a and if it be of the true kind, it will bear continued trial without yielding. We shall not grow weary of waiting upon God if we remember how long and how graciously he once waited for us. In closing, let's turn over to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 22 through 27. This will hopefully tie our teaching together and give us a future vision as we think about how the Lord is our light, salvation, strength, shelter, helper, redeemer, teacher, leader, and encourager. This vision helps us have strength to live for today and a great hope for tomorrow, where one day we'll be able to dwell with him in our temple forever. So Revelation 21 is describing the new heavens and the new earth. Chapter 21 provides 10 things that will be no more. It's a great study. Uh, something you, when you have time, check that out. Uh, 10 things that will be no more in chapter 21. I'm sorry. Yeah, chapter 21. Listen to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Verse 24. But its light will the nations walk. By its light the nations will walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me summarize it this way. Faith in God will always overcome the fears we experience in life. Because God provides everything we need to overcome those fears as we live in his light and the hope of the gospel. Our fears are no match for God's provision. So We have three takeaways today. Um, the first one is, what can you do to actively combat fear? We've said it over and over, trust the Lord. Sometimes easier said than done, right? How is this accomplished? By putting off self-reliance, putting on God-centered prayer, seeking God's face and meditating on Him, active abiding, resting in Him, 
knowing and searching the scriptures. Scripture is our friend. Practicing gratitude and thankfulness. Another putting on. When you're practicing gratitude and thankfulness, it's, it's difficult to think about our fears because we're appreciative of what we're thankful for. And then seeking help and accountability from a pastor or friend. All right, the second takeaway. What in your life do you need to put off and, put on, and replace, put on? How about the fear of man? Dan taught on this last week. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five: The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Psalm 56, 3. When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. Acts 5.29, Peter reminds us, we must obey God rather than man, even when facing persecution. So we need to put off being people pleasers and put on being God pleasers. What about life's uncertainties? We need to put off the fear of the unknown and put on trust in God's sovereignty and his presence. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 34, 4 through 9, and we're going to sing this a little later. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to have the Lord's Supper in a little bit as well. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Matthew 6, 33 through 34 Put on, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Put off, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. So we need to put off the fear of the unknown and put on trusting God. What about the fear of death, the fear of dying? Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 1 John 4, 15-17 was written so we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Here's what it says. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for this day of judgment. We need to put off the fear of death. Put on faith in Christ and his promises. All right. Final takeaway. How can you encourage someone who tends to be a worrier? We need to help one another, don't we? This is why it's so helpful to be part of a body of believers that you regularly worship with. Like David, we can be easily dragged down from the mountaintop of worship to the pit of fear and despair. So don't forsake the assembling of one another together. 
And remind your friends to do the same. Often when people are hurting, they don't want to go to church. But where else should they experience the love and care and support that they need? We all go through seasons where we're struggling with different things, and we need that encouragement. So pray for and with someone. Any opportunity you get, it's always helpful to pray with someone and point them to Scripture. And by pointing others to Scripture, we're reminding ourselves as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our light, our salvation, and our strength. Increase our faith. Give us wisdom in battling our fears, worries, and anxieties. Help us to lament well, trust you more, and to remember what you've done. For you alone are able to keep us from stumbling. And you, you Lord, you alone can present us blameless before you in your glory. And you will do it with great joy. So this is our hope and joy as well. For you are our only God, our Savior. And there is no other name by which we must be saved. Lord, may all glory and majesty and dominion and authority be given to you before all time, now and forevermore. Amen.